Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Reporting the news is getting harder and harder, and I'll tell you why. It used to be that it was just giving people facts, plain and simple. But over the last few years, a lot of people don't agree with the facts they're given. They might find other information elsewhere deep on the internet. The other issue is there's so much to be despondent about with people switching off because there's a lack of hope or positivity. I don't think you'd tune in every day if there was nothing but hopelessness and war and famine and crisis. But if those important topics are not reported... Well, you're accused of ignorance, even a conspiracy. Audience fragmentation, news avoidance, declining public trust, agenda-driven activism and the rise of mis- and disinformation and AI, a threatening independent journalism, from the New York Times to the BBC to here at Auntie. Nick Newman is a senior research associate at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. He's also the author of Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Predictions for 2024. Welcome to you, Nick. Hi, good to be with you. The characterisation about the lack of hope or optimism in news, I suppose, has always been there because the world's always been a challenging place to understand, even a devastatingly depressing place once you get into the nuts and bolts of wars and famines and conflicts. Has anything changed recently that might make us less able to cope with these sorts of stories? We've been tracking this since 2017, so it's it's hard to know going back in time. Um, but I think what we have seen, certainly since COVID, is a, is a significant increase in the percentage of people who say that they avoid the news uh, sometimes or often, and anxiety is a big part of that. So that's partly due to the sort of negative nature of the news itself, but I think it's also to do with just people's sense of anxiety, partly because you know there's just news all around. They can't get away from it, maybe in the way that they used to. So some of it's also due to, you know, the way we get the news now via mobile phones, 24 hours, all the time. You, you can't get away from it. And as much as that uh, audience anxiety is there, it's also reflected in the, the anxiety of journalists. I mean, the idea of filing 24-7 and not being able to switch off is, is a factor of the 24-hour news cycle. When we learn about news avoidance and audience attrition, what more detail can you give me about where people are going instead for their information? I mean, to some extent, people are people are turning off. So we find in in a, in a number of countries, you know, five ten percent say that they don't get any news on an average week. Many of them tend to be women or younger. Uh, so that's sort of one set of problems. I think the other set of problems is people sort of selectively avoiding certain kinds of news. That's probably something that we as journalists can do something more about. So particularly avoiding politics news, um, wars, obviously, you know, sustaining interest in conflicts like in Ukraine or Gaza. It has been particularly challenging for journalists. So yes, this is challenging for journalists. It's also challenging for, for audiences. And I think part of the problem is is just the amount of news. So uh, as you say, it's 24 hour news cycle um, and, uh, and and people don't want more news, but somehow we seem to be giving them more and more news all the time. They want, they want news that makes them smarter and allows them to get on with the rest of their lives. Let's talk about partisanship because there's certainly a perception that certain media outlets take an editorial line and you're obviously always hearing in the right-wing media that The Guardian is left-wing and in the right-wing, <laughs> in the left-wing media here, you know, News Corp is uh, right-wing uh, and has a right-wing bias. 
Does this right. add to the declining trust that we've see, been seeing in media I- issues? Why do you think this has become more apparent more recently? Because you'd argue that newspapers, particularly uh, in the UK and the US, have always taken an editorial line behind a certain administration. They endorse candidates. So partisanship's always been there. Why is it such an issue now? As you say, you know, it's more more so in some countries than others. I think what's happened in the last few years, it's um, sort of increased identity with um, particular positions from left or right. That might be, you know, the UK, it might be Brexit, uh, you know, you had your own referendum in in Australia. And people feel very deeply about these issues from one side or the other. And often they see the media trying to represent these different views. And so that you get this sort of declining trust, particularly in media that tries to be impartial and, you know, we have that tradition of broadcast impartiality in the UK and Australia. I think from a uh, from from a, a, a you know pe- people understand that um, and and they enjoy different opinions. But I think what's happened uh, partly with social media and partly just because of the times we live in, uh, people increasingly get drawn to one side or the other, and they feel less able just to accept views from from different perspectives. And what about specifically in public broadcasting? There is uh, I hear it all the time. Uh, an accusation that uh, public broadcasting has been captured by certain activist elements. I'm sure, uh, and I've read much of the accusations about certain kinds of ideological positions being championed by public broadcasting that you don't find anywhere else. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we've looked at this sort of extensively over over time in terms of um, criticism of, of the media. In fact, in the last year, Digital News Report, which we do every year, uh, which is audience-based, um, we we find that uh, the uh, pu- public media, the majority of people still think public media um, is relatively impartial, but there is this increasing percentage of people who, from either left or right who see... Uh, public media or like the BBC or ABC as biased on one side or the other. Now, I don't think that's necessarily because uh, the journalism has got more biased. As I say, it's more to do with these partisan times in which we live. And, you know, there's a very significant proportion of those people who think that public media is biased are actually getting their news from more partial sources, um, uh, alternative sources, right-wing sources, left-wing sources, uh, often accessed through, through platforms. So, you know, it's going too far to say that the social media has caused this, but there's definitely a correlation between media criticism, uh, the declining trust that we see in some uh, public media organisations as a result. And if you listen to this and thinking it's all inside baseball, journos talking about journos, what is completely relevant here is that more than 80 countries, that's just over half the world's population, heads to the polls this year to vote in elections that could be pivotal for democracy. You must be concerned about the role of misinformation and disinformation and a lack of trust in public, uh, pu- publicly funded broadcasting and, and journalism and the modern media in the role of democratic processes. Yeah, as, as you say, it's, uh, it's, it's a big year for, for elections. Um, and I think, you know, quite apart from the sort of partisanship we've been talking about, I think the other big concern this year is, is what's going to happen in terms of um, artificial intelligence or through... Uh, creation of fake or misleading content. So, uh, you know, obviously in the US election, you saw uh, a, a sort of fake Joe Biden telling people not to vote in New Hampshire. You've had uh, political campaigns using artificial intelligence to discredit um, uh, Trump, for example, discredit Donald Trump in the official campaign. 
And we've also seen AI being used in the Slovak election, not in Chile elections. So, yeah, we've got the, all the existing problems of low trust and um, false information and concern about that in the public. And then layering on top of that, we've got this whole new range of technologies. And it's, uh, it's just not certain how that's going to play out this year. If you've just joined me, Nick Newman is a senior research associate at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. He's also the author of Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Predictions for 2024. Let's talk more about the relationship between technology companies and the media, because as you were saying, in your experience, you are involved in the BBC's uh, website and the initiation of that. The idea that companies, particularly news businesses, have recast themselves as technology businesses, not free press organisations. Is that a concern to you? I think we're in the midst of a very significant change right now. So we've been through various phases, you know, in originally news websites, people came to directly. Then you have the birth of these giant platforms, Google, Facebook, for example, and many people consume news through those platforms and didn't feel the need to come directly to news websites. And I think now um, we're having another reset because some of those traditional uh, social networks like Facebook and Twitter becoming less relevant new networks, video networks uh, like TikTok, uh, YouTube growing in importance. And we've also got the rise of closed messaging applications. And then finally, we've got search being transformed by artificial intelligence. So all of this is having a huge impact on the business models. And you've seen the effects of that recently with companies like Vice and BuzzFeed um, effectively going out of business uh, because they've relied on that distributed traffic from traditional social networks. Uh, So it's a it's a time of real change and publishers are, are having to think very hard about how to, how they reach audiences uh, over the next uh, five or ten years. And as one method of reach, we've seen many news organisations flirt with AI. Uh, one forecast cited in your report suggests that the vast majority of all internet content will be synthetically produced or generated by artificial intelligence by as early as 2026. Uh, will journalists and news media organisations need to rethink their role and purpose am- amongst this technological change? Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the flood of synthetic content and the fact that artificial intelligence can do many things that journalists used to do, such as summarise things, uh, rewrite copy that, that appears on the wires, for example, um, uh, do even copy editing. Uh, there's many things that the technology is going to be able to do better than journalists or humans. So that requires journalists to think about things that the AI can't do. So focus on reporting that human connection, maybe more audio video rather than text, which may be more defensible from AI. So I, th- I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of soul searching going on right now in, in instruments about um, what the impact is going to be. It's not going to happen immediately. It's going to take some time. And I think, um, you know, ultimately, uh, journalists and news organizations need to know how to make the best of this technology, which can make them more efficient and deliver more relevant content at the same time as remembering that that connection, that human connection, is really at the heart of global journalism. So as we approach the US election this year, uh, Australia will, uh, will can technically have an election late this year, early next. There are lots of immediate challenges, notwithstanding your comments about AI for the future of journalism. What do you see as the most, uh, the, the biggest sticking points in the next 12 or 18 months around these big democratic elections uh, when it comes to the way that journalism is adapting to these challenges? 
I think the, the biggest concern really is about the financial sustainability. And we really see that uh, in countries like the US and, and, and UK. I mean, in the first part of this year, I think a thousand jobs have been lost just in the first month or so. 8,000, 10,000 jobs were lost last year in the US and, and, and UK together. So, um, you know, that providing uh, high quality journalism and ensuring that there is a sustainable business model behind it, I think is the biggest concern. But then beyond that, in other countries, we really see um, those pressures on independence, which is of course linked to financial sustainability. We see more attacks on journalists. It's harder for independent journalists to to operate in many countries, uh, legal attacks, physical attacks as well um, in, in many countries as politics becomes increasingly polarized. So um, yeah, a range of challenges. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. I think, I think there's also some bright spots as well um, in terms of there's a lot of innovation going on and where there is change, such as you know artificial intelligence, change in platforms, there's also a lot of opportunities to, to reach audiences in, in completely new ways. You've given me a perfect uh, positive note to end on, such as <laughs> solutions-based or uh, journalism with at least an optimistic tone. Nick Newman is from the Reuters Institute of Journalism. He's been my guest. His latest report, Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Predictions 2024, is available if you want to read a bit more about it online from the Reuters Institute of Journalism. Great to talk to you, Nick. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park.